0: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
1: COVID obviously has been derailing not only this NBA season, but NHL, NFL, and Overall, just our world in general, we had to make a lot of adjustments, a lot of changes in our day-to-day life. Based on where we're at now, obviously protocol is gonna have to change. We're gonna have to make some adjustments and look at ways in which we were successful in the past, in terms of the curfews, in terms of not leaving the hotels. And I think that exposure or lack thereof is what has allowed our team to have such a successful season in terms of not contracting COVID. The Lakers, they're going through a lot right now. They've had you know, a lot of issues with health and safety protocols. They've had a lot of injuries. Guys have been in and out the lineup. I'm not sure they've had a full, healthy roster in any games this year, so I think that's a factor. It's been a tough go of it. LeBron was asked to critique his team on where they're at, what they need to improve on, and he said it's hard to kind of articulate where we're at and, and where, we're, where we're capable of going because we haven't been whole all season. Hansel Emanuel. At the age of six, he lost his left arm. He is one of the most unique players I've ever seen in terms of his ability to get to his right hand, finish around the basket, and still create space with one arm. I've never seen anything like this. He is a special, special player. Welcome to the 128th episode of Pull Up Pod. That's right, 128 episodes, and on this date, December 23rd, 1992, Michael Jordan scored 57 points in a 107-98 to win over the then-Washington Bullets. Question of the day is, how much would MJ average today? And I think it's funny, this is always a debate, ongoing debate between, you know, talking heads, past players, current players, past and present media. Jordan averaged about 36 or 37 in his heyday, I think, around, around there in his prime. Um, Based on the way the game is called today, based on some of the rule changes that are in place in terms of the defense three seconds, uh, the hand checking, all those things are currently not allowed. Although this has been a physical season in terms of uh, the referees kind of letting you play. I think Jordan would average at least what he averaged, you know, in his prime, probably three to five more points per game because of the free throw discrepancy that he would probably get um, with people respecting his airness, his greatness, but also the way he played. He was aggressive. He attacked the basket. He pump faked a lot. He used the mid-range a lot. So I think Jordan would probably average around 40 points per game or close to it uh, in today's game. In his prime, I think, especially in the event that he was shooting three-pointers the way that the guys are shooting three-pointers now, I think he would average close to 40 a game. And that's probably just my bias, but it is what it is. It's my podcast. I can say what I want. But updates. <laughs> anyway, um, this is the last episode for about a month. Uh, we're going to be taking a, a, a mini hiatus. I am expecting a baby boy, and I'm looking forward to becoming a father. We are 38 weeks as of Wednesday the 22nd. Uh, the due date is January 5th, so a little man should be coming anytime now whenever he's ready. Um, the room is ready. The clothes are ready. i um, going to read some books to really focus in on sleep. I had some great friends and family send books. Uh, shout out to all my friends and family. I got this book called 12 Hours of Sleep by 12 Weeks Old by Susie uh, Giordano. I'm really looking forward to reading this book uh, because it says this is the key to getting your baby to sleep by the time he or she is 12 weeks old, and I know sleep is a very important part of <laughs> pregnancy. is a very, very important part of being a, a parent, and it's something that we're going to have to sacrifice. So I'm just trying to figure out ways to get ahead of the game and learn more about it. I'm most excited to to one see the baby, uh, hold the baby, and then just kind of be able to mold him and you know teach him a lot of the things that you know I was taught as a kid, and then just kind of watch him grow. I think that's really the one of the most exciting parts is you know seeing something that you help create and then, you know, watching what it evolves into. I think I'm most nervous just about society and the world where we're at, you know, with COVID, with the environment, the climate that we're in, in terms of how you're moving around and um, the the lack of safety that we all probably are feeling, you know, as we kind of wear a mask and and try to maneuver uh, this cold, cruel world. But I think that's probably what I'm most worried about outside of that. I'm really just looking forward to every aspect of fatherhood, my brother, um, Eric McCullum. He has a son, Eric Legend McCullum III, and just seeing the love he has for him, seeing the baby grow, seeing the personality come out. Uh, he's starting to talk. He's starting to ask for things. Um, it's just amazing to see, and I just can't wait to uh, to not only be a father to to my son, but also, you know, watch him kind of grow up alongside his cousin. So that that's going to be really really cool for us having two boys. You know, two two young uh, men to kind of carry our traditions and kind of push forward for the next generation of McCollum's. In terms of my injury, um, thank the Lord I've continued to heal. Um, I'm really appreciative of um, all the doctors I've worked with, all the specialists I've worked with, all the pulmonologists, um, our team doctors, our team staff. Everyone has been Terrific. So I'm appreciative of the work that we've been able to do together over these past few weeks. It's been very weird, you know, to be diagnosed with a collapsed lung is unique. It's something that I never thought that I would experience or have to go through. It's something that I wasn't really aware of, and it's, it's crazy because they said that, you know, some of the things that I went through are very common in tall, thin, athletic males, which is weird. You would think that the trauma that I received from the the blow to my chest and then the eventual collapsed lung would Happened to people who, you know, weren't in shape, weren't tall, weren't athletic. But it's it's kind of weird how that works out. But as I said before, the last few weeks have been rough, you know, watching my team play, not being able to be out there, not being able to work out, really having to relax and, and rest and not do much of anything from a physical standpoint, you know, as we kind of tracked it, you know, with um CT scans uh, to kind of see where everything was at, l- low doses of, of radiation. Um, we were tracking it to see, you know, how the collapsed lung was healing, and it was it has continued to heal well. And I actually got a scan um, on Tuesday that showed that um, the pneumothorax was resolved, so the collapsed lung has finally healed. So I can kind of ramp up and begin to progress uh, with some of the things I've been doing. But I basically did nothing for ten days. You know, some light moderate stretching, but a lot of rest. Um, the bright side is that I was able to go to my wife's doctor's appointments, I was able to be more present at home and uh, kind of take advantage of that time. But it was hard not working out. It was hard not shooting. I wasn't able to lift. I had to be careful with you know, my breathing and I was actually doing some respiratory therapy, uh, working on deep focus breathing and and some uh, things of that nature where I was using some of the tools and, and machines that they recommended through the uh, pulmonologist. But that's what it was kind of like. And then as I progressed and once I got the image that showed I was improving and that there was the air in my lungs was kind of slowly drifting, I was able to do some cardio. I started with 60% of my max heart rate on the bike, and then I went to 65, and then I went to 70, and then I transitioned to the treadmill where I began to do some sprint circuits to see how my lungs would respond. And uh, when I began to do that, I kind of knew that I wasn't ready yet, and it was going to take some more time. And sure enough, as I kind of progressed, I felt better and better doing it. And the scan kind of confirmed that on Tuesday. So now I've been able to finally get on the court and do some stuff on the court, um, shooting some movement, um, obviously starting to lift in the weight room again and strengthen some things back up after the, um, the two weeks or so of no real movement at all. So I'll go through that process and then be re- reevaluated and kind of see where we're at from there. But I'm just thankful that this has been resolved and now I can kind of focus on uh, getting back to, to playing the game I love and getting back to working out. and. Um, enjoying life, but it, it was extremely hard. I was able to watch the game and kind of see, you know, what probably a lot of our fans are seeing. A lot of people that watch games are seeing, you know, from a different perspective. Where when the team's on the road, uh, obviously I didn't travel. I'm not able to fly. I still won't be able to fly for a bit uh, because of the the change in air pressure. But being able to see the game without understanding the the game plan and not understanding like. You know, what we're trying to do, how we're trying to guard certain things, what type of plays we're looking to to run to kind of expose some of the team's weaknesses. so that's been helpful for me and then I get to kind of re immerse myself with the team uh, be a part of the film, be a part of the the preparation and I can kind of see how we apply that to games but um, I've definitely been able to to notice you know different things in, in ways we can we can improve ways I can help the team ways we can be better, but also noticing you know some of the things that guys are good at. You know, some of the things that guys have been doing well as of late and not just offensively, defensively, and then figuring out ways to um, to help empower and improve, you know, our, our second unit, help empower, and improve our, our starters and uh, kind of build on some of the things that we've done as of late that have been great. I have had some some injuries in the past, so i'm I'm familiar with the the rehab I'm familiar with the preparation that comes with it and I'm also familiar with the importance of you know mentally, you know trying to stay engaged uh, while you can't do certain things physically. I think having had so many injuries, I've been able to really just focus on being present, focus on the process, you know, trying to read, trying to listen to podcasts, trying to do things outside of basketball to kind of d- distract you, you know from. The fact that you're not able to do what you love um, at the highest level. Uh, so that's it's helpful that I've been through injuries before uh, because this was a really unique one where I, I literally couldn't really do much and certain movements just were uncomfortable. Sleeping was uncomfortable for a while and um, you never really understand the importance of your lungs, the importance of your ribs, the importance of you know certain types of movements until it's deterred. So I'm thankful that that, that is behind us and really looking forward to... Um, working out again, looking forward to getting back on the court and looking forward to helping our team win. But we got a lot to discuss, so make sure you're following the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows. Hit us up with a five-star review and share the show with a friend and tell that friend to tell a friend. Because coming up next, we have an update. The Hall of Fame nominees are out. We'll get into who we think should be in. We'll talk about the Lakers. They're struggling. A lot's going on with them. And there's a kid with one arm that is getting Division I basketball offers. It's an amazing story. But first, I have to address the elephant in the room. Um, COVID obviously has been derailing not only this NBA season, but NHL, NFL, and overall, just our world in general. We had to make a lot of adjustments, a lot of changes in our day-to-day life, um, a lot more surveillance, a lot more caution. Um, We're having to move uh, a way in which we probably aren't familiar with moving uh, outside of what we had to do you know, during 2020 uh, with the initial COVID outbreak. But as the president of the MBPA, um, we've had a lot of different topics and, and conversations that we've discussed. Uh, most recently, we had a call with uh, all the player reps you know, across the league to kind of touch on, obviously, the state of the union, the state of the NBA, where we're at how this spike has continued to not only affect our day-to-day lives, but also the world and, you know, what we're going to be able to kind of do moving forward to kind of figure out ways to maneuver and, and push forward. I think Adam talked about it, you know, figuring out ways to continue to, you know, not only just test people, but figure out ways to to get more people um, not only vaccinated, but um, boosted, 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 uh, whatever the proper term is there. We're currently at 98% uh, vaccination rate, uh, which is, For all intents and purposes, means we were essentially uh, gotten to the finish line there, and we were about sixty-five percent of eligible players uh, have the booster, which is very, very good considering you know the rest of the world, considering the business world, uh, Fortune five hundred companies, etc. But we still have a ways to go, and we realize that the more people that you know have the booster, the more safe not only they'll be, but the more safe we'll be as a whole, and uh, that's what we're working towards. But I think the biggest thing that I've tried to do. You know, during these conversations is, is meet people where they are. You got to meet people halfway sometimes to kind of better understand you know why they're doing things, the way they're doing them or while, what they're thinking. And I think you know with COVID, obviously this is something that's very serious. This is something that's you know affecting us. But a lot of players' approaches are different. A lot of people across the world's approaches are different to COVID and I think you know having talked to a lot of different players and, and talked to people in general, uh, who work nine to fives? I think one of the one of the things that we've constantly talked about is you know the spectrum of their situation. We have some players who have families, like myself, right? Uh, my wife is expecting, so obviously you know her immunity is not the same as it once was, and she's in a position where I don't want to compromise her health any means necessary. I don't want to compromise the health of my mother, my father, my in laws, um, those people that I truly care about, my grandma, who may not respond the same uh, if they were to contract COVID. And then you have players and, and people out there who live by themselves, um, are you know single, or in the household with just an animal or a pet, and obviously care about their health, but they also have a job to do in terms of providing and are going to do whatever they can to provide any means necessary, and aren't really worried about you know the effects of some of these situations because they feel like they have a responsibility. And then you got some people who, have people in the household that they're supposed to take care of, supposed to look after and are doing all they can to make sure they're safe but are risking, you know, their health and safety each day. So there's just so many different variables that go into this to where I have to listen you know, to not only, you know, players across the league, staff across the league, but also people in general to kind of get a better understanding of ways we can handle and deal with the situation. And I think based on where we're at now, obviously protocol is going to have to change. We're going to have to make some adjustments and look at, ways in which we were successful in the past. I think that's extremely important. In terms of the curfews, in terms of not leaving the hotels, in terms of, you know, trying to stay in the house as much as possible. I think a lot of players have done that anyway, you know, without there being actual rules in place, without there being actual punishments or or things of that nature in terms of fines, you know, thrown out there. I think players like myself, players like some of my teammates, players like guys across the league Um, have stayed in their hotel rooms, have gone to work and gone home, uh, are only traveling when it's extremely necessary. And I think that exposure or lack thereof is what has allowed our team to have such a um, a successful season in terms of not contracting COVID. Obviously, we're 100% vaccinated across the board in our tier one. We're 97 to 99% uh, boosted uh, for all those that are uh, actually allowed to be boosted. And I think that has allowed us the freedom to feel more safe, but also still practice the right precautions and safety in terms of wearing our mask and things of that nature. But we've we've discussed everything. Uh, we've discussed all ways to kind of improve our game. We've looked at uh, best case scenario. We've looked at worst case scenario. And I think for me, it's just education has been key, figuring out ways to educate the players, but also letting them know that, hey, this is something that's seriously impacting our game. It's impacting our world. And we have to be cognizant of that. And we have to be willing to adjust on the fly and stay in can stay in proper communication and contact with the league to figure out how to get through this. And I think one of the bright sides, and there's not a lot of bright sides to COVID, but I think it's us, you know, having more perspective, us appreciating being home more, having a more of a sense of awareness. Um, and then the other part of the actual game is it's allowing other players opportunities that they probably wouldn't have been provided with before. We've created a lot of call-ups for for guys that are in the G League, for guys that are out of the league, and this has allowed them opportunities to not only play for 10 days, but potentially longer, um, and to carve out niches. Um, Obviously, Isaiah Thomas is a big one. He signed with the Lakers. He played in the G League for a little bit, showed his health. He showed his ability to score, which has been known. But I think the biggest question mark was, how healthy is he? And he's been able to showcase that with the Lakers. You got older guys like Joe Johnson. He signs with the Celtics, a guy who prides himself on being in shape, uh, leads his own hot yoga sessions, hot yoga classes. I see him posting about all the time. He's in phenomenal shape, probably in better shape now than he was when he played. C.J. Miles has signed with the Celtics, another vet OG that can knock down shots, a dependable guy. Lance Stevenson with the Hawks, He's been battling his way back to the league for quite some time. Um, was playing in the G League. Was playing extremely well. I think he actually played in the G League showcase out in Vegas. He's under contract now for ten days at least. Brandon Knight, very very uh, good dude, hardworking guy. Trains with Remy down in Miami. Was playing in the G League. Was playing really well and showing um, strides and growth and a maturity that you kind of need and want, you know, uh, for guys on your team. And I think. Some of these guys will have real opportunities to contribute. Some of these guys are obviously in position position where they're feeling a, a specific need based on COVID health and safety protocols and some of the things teams are going through. But you never know what can occur from this, and at the very least, they get to show that they belong in the league. They get to take advantage of an opportunity and allow other teams, not just here in the United States, but elsewhere to see them uh, at the highest stage. Um, I definitely look forward to playing against Joe Johnson. Uh, once I get back, I'm a huge Joe Johnson fan. Love his game. So I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, one of the questions I get all the time from people is, you know, why doesn't your brother play in the NBA? Like, is he ever going to try to play in the NBA? Uh, for those that don't know, my brother, Eric McCullum, the second has been playing in Europe uh, for 12 years. He's traveled all throughout Europe. He's played in China. He's played in Asia. Um, he's broken a lot of different records in different places. He's won a Euro Cup championship. Um, he's a very, very good player. He's 33 years old. And from a statistical standpoint, he is playing for Lokomotiv Kuban right now um, in Russia. They're in the VTB League and the Euro Cup. And this year, he's averaging 22 points, uh, five assists and three rebounds and you know, leading the team. I think they're tied for first place in the VTB league in, in top three or top four in the Euro Cup, but uh, he's, a, he's an explosive scorer. He's a guy who can set the table for others. Um, I think he's second all time in Euro Cup history in, in PIR, which is like PER, performance index rating. And I tell people all the time, his game is just like mine. I've mimicked his game since we were kids. We've worked out together um, from from essentially birth he's helped kind of raise me he's helped train me he's helped guide me and mold me into who I am today and I wouldn't be where I'm at without him and I literally stole all his moves literally all the moves that I do are stolen from him I've remixed some of them and kind of added to some of them but from a work ethic standpoint um I'm only here because of him and he definitely is um an NBA caliber player he definitely could have played in the NBA and has actually had opportunities to play at the NBA in previous years and I think I I told uh a lot of people this story in confidence. I think I told Rich and Greg this story in private. For those that don't know, those are the producers behind the show. Um he was offered a non-guaranteed contract in years past and was actually offered a deal to be a third string point guard, you know, essentially a backup to the backup. And this is right around the time, you know, he was, you know, mid-20s. He was uh in Vegas for Summer League, probably the same time I was in Vegas for Summer League, actually. And he was waiting to hear back from a team in Asia, and he's finalizing a, uh, a very long, a very large, lucrative deal over there. And he ended up turning down the NBA deal, but we had the conversation, the talk, and I told him, I said that you're used to playing at a high level. You're used to getting minutes. You're used to being the man. If your goal is to play in the NBA, and that's something that you want to do, I think you should do it. But if your goal is to continue to play at a high level while providing for your family, and you should do what makes you most happy. I don't know necessarily if you're going to be happy being a backup or a third string guard when you're used to being a starter. You're on billboards. When I go to Europe, people chant your name in the streets. It's going to be hard for you to adjust, and you're going to make less money than what you're making in Europe. Ultimately, he chose you know, to to sign in Asia and then went on to, to make a lot of money and play in Europe. But I'll tell people the story that, Basically, to let them know that like he's had the opportunities and the chances to play, but he's made decisions that he felt was best for his comfort and for what he wanted to accomplish within his basketball career. With that being said, I think he's at the point now where I think he would consider um, coming back and playing in the NBA. He's older now. He's married. He has a, he has a one year old son, and I think from a stability standpoint, he would just appreciate you know being closer to to our family because it's hard you know for you know our parents to to get out there to Europe and and to travel. And to be in Russia, especially, you know, due to the world's climate with COVID. So I think um, he is good enough. If I'm good enough to play, he's certainly good enough uh, to play because our games are literally the same. But I I don't think I've ever told that story before, but I wanted to share it on the pod because it comes up a lot. And I think, you know, at this day and age, I think before he's done, he'll probably end up playing the NBA for a little bit um, just to see what it was like uh, before he hangs it up and moves on. Now it's time for one of my favorite parts of the episode, Pull Up or Dish, where we basically discuss whether or not I'm pulling up or I'm dishing to somebody else. The new Hall of Fame nominations pool consists of a lot of notable players, specifically Chauncey Billups, coach is actually up for nomination. Uh, for the Hall of Fame. He's a five-time All-Star, three-time All-NBA, Finals MVP in 2004. Obviously, he won a championship uh, the year he won the Finals MVP and is in position to potentially make the Hall of Fame. I think that's really cool. It's a dope honor to be even considered, and hopefully he's able to get in. Manu, four-time champion, 03, 05, 07, and 14, two-time All-Star, two-time All-NBA, 2004 Olympic gold with Argentina. Uh, he's one of the people who made the Euro step familiar uh, within the league and beyond. Muggsy Bolts, 14 year veteran, smallest ever player in the league at 5'3, heart of a champion, strong. Rumors that he benched over 300 pounds. Uh, obviously, played with the greatest shooter of all time's father. Uh, that would be Steph Curry's father, uh, Dale Curry. And actually has a special, I believe that's on TV that kind of discusses you know him his journey and and where he's at now. Rip Hamilton, three-time All-Star, 2004 champion alongside Chauncey Billups. Sean Marion, four-time All-Star, won a championship at 11. Tim Hardaway, five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA. I still do the Hardaway crossover between Cross because of him, so I hope at some point uh, he's immortalized. Mark Jackson, If he doesn't get in as a player, he's getting in as a broadcaster for sure. One-time All-Star, one of six players to ever record. 10,000 career assists. This is a pretty good pool of candidates. I think Manu's a lock. I think Chauncey gets in at some point. Uh, If it's not now, it's later. And I think maybe Rip Hamilton. This is tough. I think Tim Hardaway at some point will be considered. Mark Jackson definitely going to get in as a broadcaster if he doesn't make it in this way. but. This is this is one of the most difficult decisions voters have to make in terms of figuring out you know whether or not someone's worthy of of being a Hall of Famer. I think the fact that you're mentioned is a lot, and I think these people are oftentimes criticized you know for either not getting in or even being on the list. And I think people should more so look at their careers, look back at the work that they did on the court in the community, um, their games how they impacted, uh, not only winning, but how they impacted the sport in general. I think those things are really, really cool and really important. Important. One of my favorite players of all time to watch um, is Manu Ginobili because he he embodied work ethic, you know, second round pick. He played with pop, he sacrificed. Um, he's won six many years when he was capable of starting. Uh, and I also got to play against him. He scored on me a few times in a row. They called the same play. He held up like the L- um this L signal which meant like angle high screen and i was supposed to force him right and i would force him right and he would snake back to his left hand and euro step and do all those different types of things and then he would walk into threes late in the shot clock and it was just very frustrating but i remember thinking to myself like wow like he's really good and i caught the later version of Manu and not the younger version so I think it's just really cool to see these people being recognized in this magnitude. I played with Chauncey on the video game and now he's my head coach, which is wild to even think about. You know, The pull up three is something that I've tried to work on off the dribble, and he's a guy who shot that shot with regularity back in the day where threes weren't necessarily encouraged. Uh, Tim Hardaway, I talked about his tween cross. Um, it's a move that I still use today. Rip is, is a guy I watched film on. Uh, coming off screens, getting to the midi. It's a reason why, one of the reasons why I shoot so many mid-range shots today. And uh, floppy is something that we ran a lot early um, in my career, you know, eight, eight, nine years ago. And now a lot of teams are running it again. Rip Hamilton made floppy and, and Iverson and all those plays more prevalent. And for those that don't know, floppy is basically when two guards or wing players start underneath the basket and they have a big man on each side, basically, prepared to set a screen. and You run around in a circle underneath the basket, and one player pops out on one side, and the other player pops out on the other. And it's called the floppy action, because you have a choice. Um, flares on one side, pin downs on the other. And then you get to it. Now it's time for Get the dub, Take the L. And the dove of the week is Hansel Emanuel. He is in it a special, special player. I've been watching a lot of highlights on Instagram, on Twitter of this young man. He balled out at the City of Palms Classic and he actually won the dunk contest. And the backstory on on him is that at the age of six, uh, he lost his left arm when a cinder block wall came down on him and trapped him for two hours requiring amputation below the shoulder. He is one of the most unique players I've ever seen in terms of his ability to get to his right hand, finish around the basket, and still create space with one arm. I've never seen anything like this. The fact that he's getting double teamed in games kind of shows you his skill set, his ability to to dominate a game. And we've all seen him on social media and we've seen the highlights and uh, we've been able to kind of watch from afar. And I think the fact that he's getting legit D1 offers, Tennessee State actually offered him uh, for those that don't know, Tennessee State is an HBCU, historically black college. And Robert Covington actually went there. He plays for the Portland Trailblazers alongside me. And I think that shows you kind of where he's at. He's doing well against good a good high school competition. And I think this is unlike anything I've seen. The dunk contest was so special to see how high he was getting off the ground, to see the athleticism, to see the kids cheering for him, and just to see the joy um, he has when he's on that court. I think it's just it's beautiful to watch and it's a blessing, you know, to be able to see someone um, like him play at this level and and receive, you know the credit and receive um, the praise that he truly deserves because you know it took a lot of hard work to to not only get good at the sport, but to get good at the sport uh, when when you're out there playing with one arm kind of shows you determination. It shows you the wherewithal. I'm sure he's been been told lots of things about how he can't do things, and he's showing that you can do things with hard work, determination, and um, the right opportunity. And I think he's taking advantage of that. In terms of players not being able to stop him, And he's got it one-handed in and out. He's doing a lot of different things. He's shooting the ball uh, well off the bounce. I think there was a clip where he, he split the double team. He had, he, he came down the court. They tried to send a double team. He in and out, and he did like a yo-yo in and out, right to left with the with the right hand, and spun through the double team and stepped back and shot a three and fell down. It was was one of the the prettier plays I've seen uh, displayed. And I think honestly, the sky is the limit for him. I look forward to seeing you know him continue to grow and progress. Look forward to seeing what he's capable of doing in college. And honestly, this is this is unlike anything I've ever seen, and just a special moment that needed to be discussed and, and talked about for sure. The L of the week is the Lakers. Uh, they just lost to the Suns and they fall into 16 and 16 on the season. I think they get the L of the week for a couple of reasons. They're going through a lot right now. Um, they've had, you know, a lot of issues with health and safety protocols. You know, I spoke to Bayes. Their team is kind of going through it. You know, in that aspect of things, they've had a lot of injuries. Trevor Reza just got back into the lineup. Shout out to my guy, Trev. They signed Isaiah Thomas. A THT is back in the lineup, I think. Uh, Obviously, AD's out for a while with the um, the knee issues. I think it was MCL. He'll be out at least four weeks. It's been a tough go of it. LeBron was asked to kind of you know critique his team on where they're at, what they need to improve on, and he said it's hard to kind of articulate where we're at and and where we're we're capable of going because we haven't been whole all season. Uh, They've had a lot of injuries. Guys have been in and out the lineup. I'm not sure they've had a full healthy roster um, in any games this year so I think that's a factor I think obviously signing Russ you know bringing in some of the players they brought in from the bench and then having injuries has forced them to to have to adapt on the fly they haven't been able to to gain that chemistry that I think is necessary to be successful um I think they've traded away or moved a lot of you know their young depth um they brought in a lot of veterans and uh, Braun has had to shoulder a heavy, heavy load, probably one of the more heavy loads he's had to shoulder, shoulder since his Cleveland days. And I think all those things are factoring in the frustration and the fact that the media is always on them, always talking about them and their struggles. I think that that plays a role in us kind of overanalyzing. But I think they are in a, a peculiar spot. A lot of injuries. Bron's playing heavy minutes. Um, AD's out. And AD is really the guy that kind of makes them go. Bron is obviously the key. But when AD plays well, they're a championship caliber team. And with him being hurt, I think that changes everything. And I also think they really miss Alex Caruso. Caruso did a lot of the little dirty things that a lot of players don't like to do. He was big, 6'5 guard. Uh, didn't didn't care about scoring. Didn't care about the limelight. He just played hard, took a role, and was there when you needed him. And I think they miss that. And funny, it's funny enough... Um, Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma has been been a great player for the Washington Wizards. He's big. He's rebounding outside of his area. He's knocking down threes. He's hit a couple game winners. He even hit a game winner and flicked off a fan, (laughs) which which is not what we should be doing during games. But I do like his aggressiveness in the way he's played, and I think the Lakers miss him too. I have to do a mailbag segment because I'm not going to be around for a while, and when I come back, I will be a father, and I will be hooping again. In a month or so. And if you want to submit a question to the mailbag, feel free to hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at Pull Up Pod. First question, who are your all-star starters in each conference right now? In the East, I'm going with KD, Giannis, Damar, Trey Young, and Embiid. I think that's a great five. There's a lot of players who are deserving of it, but I think those players are the ones that are going to get it. They've all been killing COVID was the only thing that stopped DeMar from from playing games this season. Embiid also went down with the COVID spout. Trae Young's out with COVID now. And ironically, Giannis and KD are all out with COVID right now. But they'll be back um, playing, and hopefully we can get through this. The West, Curry, Don, Joker, Braun, PG. That last spot was hard for me to pick. Uh, I know we have to pick forwards. PG's been playing great. He's been hurt as of late, but the fact that the Clippers are still in the playoff contention without the killer, Kawhi Leonard, kind of shows you how dominant he's been. Um, so I think he may get in as a starter, but if he doesn't get in as a starter, I think you can put another guard in there. And the guard I would put in there is Devin Booker. So if you can get another guard in there, I go Curry, Don by Don, I mean Donovan Mitchell. Joker is obviously the Joker and Bron. I think all those players are playing great basketball. The Suns, I feel like they have to get a starter because they're either going to finish one or two in the West uh, pre-All-Star break. I think CP probably gets in as a reserve. You got to take a look at Ayton and Mikhail will probably be um, first-team all-defense, um, second-team at the very least. What current NBA players would do the best Manning cast? For those that don't know what the Manning cast is, it's the Manning brothers on ESPN talking, entertaining, asking questions, and also interviewing players and people from different walks of life during football games, specifically Monday night or Thursday night games. Um, it's hilarious. It's interactive. They've had on Marshawn Lynch. They've had on Draymond Green. They've had on Russell Wilson. I think Sue Bird was on there as well. So they've had... A lot of different people on there, it's it's really cool, it's interactive, fans love it. A lot of fans watch that instead of their actual telecast because they make fun of each other, they're funny, and they tell jokes. But I would go with Anthony Edwards because he's hilarious, he's unapologetically himself, he's very honest, he's blunt, and he says things that people are afraid to say. And I would go with myself, because I'm a true professional, I'm funny, I'm talented, um, I'm a great broadcaster. Um, Favorite podcast episode I've ever done. I'm going to go with a few. The KD one was pretty funny, but it was so long that we had to do two parts. It was part one and part two. Draymond was great. D-Wade was terrific. Kevin Love, I think we ended up doing two parts with that as well. We had a great talk about life, sports, mental health, so many different things. Um, the Dame one was really cool. And the Mellow one. The Mellow one was special. For a lot of reasons, because it's obviously mellow. But two, we recorded right where I'm sitting now, uh, actually at the other desk. And during the actual podcast, I found out that the season was being suspended due to COVID. And that was in March of 2020. And it was weird because we were recording a podcast. I got a message and I had to tell him, like, yo, the season's about to be put on pause. And he was like, get out of here. And I'm like, I swear, bro. Showed him my phone. I went and grabbed some wine. We started drinking and finished the rest of the podcast. And I was like, we're not going to have a game tomorrow, so I'll see you when I see you. And that's kind of how I went. And then we started going on walks with our dogs. Do I have a favorite referee? No. I love all the referees. They're all great. They're all my favorite. And I'm just truly appreciative of all that referees do and all that they go through because I know it is a very tough job. And they don't get enough credit. And also... I think they're underpaid. They should be paid more. Most points you've ever scored in any game, NBA or other. I scored 54 points in a high school game. Uh, I broke the score record. I hit eight threes, and I haven't scored 50. Oh, I did score 50 in the NBA against the Chicago Bulls in 2018. I had 50 in 29 minutes, in three quarters. And it was on a back-to-back, and I actually went to sleep At 3 a.m. I had one meal before the game. It was just a weird, weird uh, day. I had had no idea I was going to score 50 until about six minutes into the game. (laughs) And I'm not even, like, this sounds bad to say it out loud, but I mean, like, six minutes into the game, I had, like, 18 points. So, like, I felt good about where I was at, and I was only 32 points away. And once Ed Davis, one of my teammates, was like, you won't score 50. And I was like, honestly, I'm just trying to get this win so I can go home and rest because I'm tired. And he's like, nah, fuck that. That's what I did. I scored 50. And I think I had 28 in the first quarter. So I technically should have scored 60, but I ran out of gas. And I also, you know, the rotation, played the whole first, and then I sat the second quarter. Shout out to my guy, Terry Stotts. I sat the second quarter till about six, seven minutes. Didn't score a lot in the second quarter. They was kind of on me. Then I got off in the third and got it done. So yeah, that was a really cool story. Hopefully, we, we get more of those, you know, in the future uh, when I return. Christmas season is here, holidays is here, um, New Year's is around the corner, and I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, not only wish you guys uh, Merry Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah for those that have already celebrated Hanukkah and Happy Kwanzaa. And now it's time for the wine segment. I am going to recommend, this is a good one. This is expensive. I recommend this Brunello di Monotino 2007. I don't know if I said that right or not, but it is a Brunello. It's from Italy. It's over 200 bucks, slightly over 200 bucks. Um, but it is very, very good. It's a, it's a, among the top 1% of wines in the world. And sometimes it doesn't mean anything, but I assure you this one is legit. More bold than light, more tannic than smooth, more dry than sweet, um, higher in acidity, which for those that don't know, the higher the acidity, the more your, your mouth tends to water. Leathery, earthy, a little bit of smoke, tobacco, oak, vanilla, plum, a little bit of berries. Truly, truly enjoy this one. This is special. I'll be cracking this one open probably Christmas Eve. You can pair it with anything, but I think that it goes best with you know, different types of meat. So beef, lamb, game, deer, poultry, cheese and crackers, whatever you're going to be enjoying, you know, Christmas, pre-Christmas, post-Christmas, New Year's. I assure you, it's, it's going to be sensational. And the other cool part is the bottle. I really think this bottle is special. I'm going to break this open tomorrow. Thanks again for checking in this week. Want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. I hope you have great, great times with family, friends, loved ones. I hope you get all the presents you deserve and more. I hope you guys are being safe amongst each other. I hope you're testing if you're going to be around friends, family, kids, neighbors, um, all those types of things. I'm thankful that I can breathe without an interruption. I'm thankful that I can sleep on my right side. I'm thankful I can shoot. And I'm thankful that I'll be able to return to the game I love very soon. And I'm also thankful I'm going to be a father. I hope everyone is able to write out their New Year's resolutions and begin their workouts because I know everybody's going to be trying to work out for the new year and get fit for 2022. So I hope everyone enjoys that. Uh, Be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your shows. Please comment. Let me know who I should have on my show next. I'm going to start having you know, some of my homies come on the show. I'm Tell a Friend and Tell a Friend. And hit the show up on social, app, Pull Up Hot on Twitter and Instagram because we're posting fresh content there all season long. And as the saying goes, don't forget to pull up.